Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today, I'm going to cover The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. This is book 25 of 52 for my 2020 reading list. This book is the prequel to the Hunger Games series of young adult dystopian novels. There were three of those books. Uh, The first was The Hunger Games that came out in 2008. And then in 2009, Catching Fire, the second book. And the third book, Mockingjay, came out in 2010. These novels were also developed into films and were spread across four films, with Mockingjay, the final book, being broken up into two parts. Despite them being young adult novels, the themes are are quite adult, so I'll get into some of those in in the second segment of this episode. This book, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, it starts 64 years before the time of the first Hunger Games book, and follows Coriolanus Snow, who is the evil president of Panem. Panem is the nation in North America, and, and it consists of a capital and then 12 districts, actually 13 districts, but 13's been wiped out. So there's 12 districts. And then the capital is the wealthy area and the districts are, they're, they're in varying level of levels of poverty. And there's a lot of hunger, hence hunger games. Uh, we know in the past, there's been a rebellion where the districts fought against the capital, the capital won. And as a way, a way to rem- remind the districts that the capital has the ultimate power and to provide visual entertainment for people who live in the capital. There's this yearly thing called the hunger games. And as it, as a punishment, they take two children from each of these districts. So 12 districts, two children, a boy and a girl, there's 24 total children and they're put into an, an arena to fight to the death. And that is the reminder of, you know, you guys rebelled against, against us in the past. And this is the reminder to not do that again. We're going to take your children. We're going to make them fight to the death. And it's going to be entertainment for us. Now, Suzanne Collins is the author. And the story of, of how she came up with the idea for this, this series of books is that she was flipping through channels. And this was early 2000s. And she sees the Iraq war going on. And then she flips to another channel. And there's this reality television show going on. And then she flips to another channel. And there's people competing for a prize. She thought, you know, what if what if these things were combined into into one thing, and and that's how she got the the premise for this book. So the, bro- the this particular one, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, is broken up into three parts. I really enjoyed the first two, uh, very action packed. The third was a bit slow at times and kind of got a little uh, young adulty, lovey dovey, a little too much for for my taste. Uh, but but. Yeah, the first two were very action-packed. The third one, some action there as well, but uh, but it, it dragged a little bit uh, more so than the first two. So who's this book for? Well, it's it's really, it's it's a good book if you just need an escape. But it also challenges how you how you view things and how you think about things. And so it's it's a, a interesting novel in that sense, uh, a, a fun novel despite the, the content. Um, but but really kind of helps you or causes you to, to think of things in, in a, in perhaps in a new way. And so it's not, it, it, it is a young adult book, uh, that that's the genre, but I, I think, I think adults can read this one as well and, and, and get a lot out of it. 
It took me 12 hours to read it. Uh, that was over 14 days. I, I moved during that time. So um, <laughs> there, there were a few days where I, I was not reading at all. So it, it probably wouldn't have taken that long, but um, uh, in terms of the, the number of days, but, uh, but 12 hours total. So this episode will, will consist of a, a couple more segments. The next segment, I'll cover some themes and ideas that, that show up in, in this book. And then in segment three, I'll cover the one thing, the one, my one key takeaway and the one thing I always hope to remember from this book. Then at the end of segment three, I have a little surprise for you as well. So I encourage you to, to stick, stick with it to the end and, uh, and, and listen for that surprise. this is your first time listening to the Books of Titans podcast, welcome. I'm glad you're listening. Uh, I do not do advertisements. Uh, I don't like them myself when I'm listening to podcasts, so I, I avoid them. But I've, I've just moved into a new house, and the room is such that it is smaller than where I just moved from, and I've had to sell my bookshelves because they just don't fit for this room. And so I'm looking at having to do some custom shelving. And this custom shelving will also incorporate a desk and an area where I will do these podcasts going forward. I'm attempting to raise some money to to do this. And if you've ever wondered how you can support the podcast, well, here's your chance because I need help building these shelves and paying for these shelves. So you can go to booksoftitans.com forward slash support and you'll be able to give any amount. At that link, I will keep everyone updated on the status of how much I've raised and how much I have left to go. And so if you've gotten any value out of these episodes, you can now return that value and help create a magical Books of Titans library and studio. Now into segment two and some ideas and themes from this book and then the Hunger Games in in general. I remember about five or six years ago, I was at a music practice at church and we got under the topic of the Hunger Games. And one of the the guitarists, he said, I just couldn't get into it because it, it just seems so far from reality. I mean, can you really imagine people dressing like that? And he was referring to the capital where these the the capital they would they would show their wealth through their outfits and they would have these extravagant parties and he's just saying I, I just couldn't get into it because that, that just seems so outrageous. And I'm not all that quick on my feet, but right afterwards I was thinking, have you have you not seen what they were wearing in pre-revolutionary France? Uh, Marie Antoinette, did, did you have you seen those outfits? Those were those were just as crazy. And so these parties in the Hunger Games, uh, they would they would just eat to excess, and then they would drink this wine that would allow them to to, to throw up so that they could go and eat more. And you're thinking that that's crazy, but then you realize that the Romans did that. They had vomitoriums where it was a room that was set up. You'd go and eat, and then you'd go into this vomitorium, eat vomit, and then go back to the party and, and eat more. So it's not, it's not all that crazy. I mean, it's happened in history or, or take death as entertainment. Again, again back to Roman times, the, the Colosseum I and mean, people pack out these Colosseums to, to watch, watch people fight to the death or fight animals or, or even executions. You know, it, it was, it was death as entertainment. The point here is that at first, these things seem very shocking in these books. I mean, if you've ever told somebody that you're reading the Hunger Games and you tell them the premise of the book, <laughs> they kind of look at you like, "Why are you reading that? Are are you being entertained by this? By by this death? Kids fighting kids to the death?" But when you take a step back and you look at history, these things don't seem like such outliers. In fact, it's it's actually really really interesting to consider these topics and consider these 
things in a modern context. And that that's what this book does, because this this takes place in the future from from our time. And it, and it takes place in a North America. And it doesn't necessarily look like our North America, because there's a capital and then there's, there's 12 districts uh, coming out of this out of this capital. But it's enough of a similarity and there 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 are things that that we we see glimpses of that really help you see you know this this could be the next step and so let's you know take the television and and entertainment aspect you just kind of imagine these roman gladiatorial fights but imagine them televised or there there's these jabber jays and these these jabber jays are birds that have been genetically modified to gather intelligence so they're, they're flying around and they can they can kind of get close to some to some people who are having a conversation and then record everything they say but that's not a whole lot different than the technology that we have now i mean our phones and watches and earbuds all have microphones in them and the drones keep getting smaller and smaller to where they can eaves, eavesdrop. So these Jabberjay, yeah, the genetically modified birds, that may seem a little crazy, but it's not that far from reality right now. And so it, it I, I really enjoy that aspect of this book and and just in general, the, the Hunger Games series where you are confronted with, with these things and you realize that it's, it's not that much of a stretch for us to get there. Uh, you have other things of rich versus poor, elite versus district people, war, retribution, reality te- television. Uh, one writer, Peter Bloom, said, Although it's aimed at young adults, it presents potentially quite subversive ideas of mass revolution, economic sabotage, and the populist fight against oligarchy. So the question in the book that's brought up is, is this. Is this the natural state of humanity? Is this the natural state of humankind? If civilization disappears, is this how we all start behaving? Do we just act like these people, these kids having to fight each other in their, the arena? I mean, do we just start battling it out? And, you know, what What do you think? It, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question to to ponder and, and to consider, you know, what if, uh, as, as Russ Roberts, the, the host of Econ Talk earlier this year, he, he tweeted out, the veil of civilization is thin. You know, what if what if these things that we relied on, what if they went away? What would people revert to? What if there wasn't protection? What if you what if the grocery stores were not there? You you had to go get food on your own. Like what would happen? And it's it's a good question to consider. And Suzanne Collins takes it even deeper and she takes it to the individual level. And so what this book is, is following Coriolanus Snow. And we know him in the Hunger Games series as being the, the evil president of Panem. But we don't really know how he got there. I mean, he is a special kind of evil. He's a special kind of villain in, in these, the other books. But did, was he just born that way? How, you know, how did he become that way? And, that, and that's what this book gets into. You know, what, what led him to that point? Is, is his evil, is that the natural state of individuals and humankind? Or how did, how did he get there? And so it's a good question to ask, and, and especially a big one to consider, since it's, it's intended for, for a young adult audience. 
Now into segment three and the one thing, the one idea I always hope to remember from this book. And it's a little strange with novels. I mean, with um, with nonfiction, it's it's a li- little easier to pick something and say, that's that's the one thing I know I can implement in my life, or that's a good idea, and, and I want to try to start doing that. But with novels, it's it's usually more the thing that I'm, I'm still thinking about. And the thing I'm still thinking about after having finished the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is just this path that Snow takes during the book. And we know him as President Snow later on. We know him as as the evil leader. But how did he get there? And what were the decisions he made that that led to that? And this is a this book is an exploration of that to to some degree. And you see him just start making small little decisions that that seem inconsequential at the time, but start leading him down this path. And this is an idea that has come up in so many books for the Books of Titans project. It's, it's the idea of, of, of going one way or the other, but with daily decisions and how you approach each decision in, in your life. You know, you're, you're going one direction or, or another. And when you make decisions to go the wrong way, it just makes it going that way easier in the future. So Coriolanus, Coriolanus kills somebody in the dark out of self-preservation in this book. It's either kill or be killed at that point. Uh, but that makes killing somebody who he thinks might be a problem in the future much easier later on in the book. So this, this, this one killing makes, it, makes the next one easier, makes the next one easier, makes the next one easier. And it, it was interesting to look at this character throughout the book and, and, and to see that path. And it made me think of a few other books from, from this year's reading list. And the first one is Crime and Punishment. Uh, the, the protagonist in that one, Raskolnikov, he admires Napoleon. And he thinks at some point in Napoleon's life, he must have gotten away with something. He must have done something when he was young. And, and, and maybe it was just one thing, but he got away with it and he knew he could take it another step. And he just kept getting away with things to the point where he's leading a nation and doing things that, you know, the average citizen would be executed for doing, but he's, he's able to do them because he is, he's the leader. Everyone's uh, respecting him at this point. And, but Raskolnikov keeps asking and, and he thinks he can be like Napoleon because he figures Napoleon must have had that one thing. And then he just kept going from there. Or even even the Romanovs, uh, the book I just finished yesterday. There, there's a part in there about uh, Lenin's brother, and Lenin's brother was a bomb throwing, uh, actually a bomb making terrorist, and he was executed by the Tsar for that for being a terrorist. But that execution had a major impact on Lenin, and I've not read about Lenin, but you, but that was a major turning point in his life. And so you just you wonder what what were the things that led to Lenin becoming Lenin and that being a big part of it. So what were the decisions he made after that? And I'm not saying that we need to feel sorry for Lenin here. You know, poor guy, his, his bomb making terrorist brother was executed, but you know, dig, dig a little deeper here. What, what are, what are these decisions and what are your decisions? What are your decisions on a daily basis that are leading you one way or another? 
Now, you may be wondering why a grown man is reading a young adult fiction. I was not really into the Hunger Games at all, but then I had the chance to be in one of the films. So I play the violin, and in the final Mockingjay movie, they needed a violinist for the wedding scene. Much of the filming was completed in Atlanta, and my home at the time was just uh, about a mile away from the Civic Center where that scene was filmed. So I got hired to, to do that part in the in the film, and it was... Uh, an amazing experience. I mean, it was, it was one of the coolest things I've ever done. I was, I got to be there for two days of filming. One day was just kind of observing everything. And then the, the second day, uh, uh, towards the end of the day was when they did the filming for the violin part. So I knew going in that there would be one song and I was sent that song in advance so that I could, I could learn it so that when I'm playing the violin for, for the film, even though the, the track was recorded, by someone else, uh, it would it would actually look like I was playing it and not like every other movie where they're not playing anything similar to what is being what you're hearing at all. So I wanted it to be true to what was actually being played. So I, I made sure to learn that song and was sent that one in advance. But when I got there, uh, they said, "Well, here's another song as well, and and we're not sure if this one's going to be in it yet. But uh, this is this is a second song that that may be used in this this wedding scene." So I. Uh, I just kind of kept listening to it over and over and, and wrote down the, the notes for the song. And it ended up not being used in the film, but I, I learned it. I've actually even played it for a few other weddings. It's a, it's a beautiful piece. And so I wanted to share it with you guys. So I'm, I'm going to play it here. And you guys are, are probably the, the first to, to perhaps hear uh, this version that, that never made it to the film, but, but uh, almost could have been part of the, uh, the wedding scene. So Hope you enjoy. Here it goes. To recap, these Hunger Games books are are a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's uh, disturbing content in in the sense of kids fighting kids and to the death that sort of thing. But 
I, I really enjoy the mixture of past and present. The character names are fantastic. I, I mean, in general, when you're reading fiction, just pay attention to the names because the author is using them for a reason. And they might they might harken back to to someone else, uh, uh, maybe a, a famous character from the Bible or somebody famous from history. And in, in this book, is, is the names are, are, are rich in that sense. Uh, Coriolanus is a legendary Roman leader. And it's also a tragedy by Shakespeare. And so I've never read the tragedy. I'd, I'd be curious to read the tragedy, see if there's any connection points, or even in uh, that, that Roman leader's life, if, if there are any connection points from the book. Maybe there are, maybe they aren't. Maybe she just picked the name uh, because of its historical context, but maybe there's something deeper there. Uh, and, and it's something always that's fun to, to explore when, when reading. Now, instead of the uh, usual outro music, I'll end with me playing the song that is from that wedding scene in The Hunger Games. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, but before I do that, that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. Let me know what you thought of uh, this book, if you've read it, or The Hunger Games in, series in general. Or just in general, I, I love hearing from people about the books they're reading. And I love hearing. I love talking to people about books that I've read. Uh, that was one of the reasons I started this project is, is to, to be able to talk to, to different people about the books in, that I'm reading. So you can also write me a letter. My address is on the Books of Titans website. Just go to booksoftitans.com forward slash contact. And uh, my address is there where you can, you can write me a handwritten letter. And some people do that. And I, I really appreciate that. The, you can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. Also, the website is stock full of resources to help you find the best books and create your own reading list. I'll be back next week. I'm going to go back to, to doing weekly podcasts instead of uh, every other week. So I just finished the Romanovs yesterday, and <laughs> I was blown away. So that's going to be the uh, topic of the next episode. Can't wait to, to talk about that one. So until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.